2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
3: We at Pack Your Nice love to draft, so much so that we decided to draft Top Chef contestants live on the podcast. Drafting is the best, and if you're into fantasy sports, I got a stat for you. Did you know that your chances of winning on draft are 80% better than on salary cap sites? That's why Draft is my favorite fantasy site. No more getting crushed by the pros. And it's not just me. More than 1 million people that have already downloaded Draft 2. Play in a real live NBA draft right now and be done in under 5 minutes. Get paid out the very next day. Drafts are filling every second, so you can join one whenever you want. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. But make sure to use my promo code HEALTHY. H-E-A-L-T-H-Y. HEALTHY. That's right, play in a real money draft for free just by using my promo code healthy. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering Pack Your Knives listeners a money back guarantee of up to $100. Just search Draft in your App Store or go to draft.com and play free right now with promo code healthy.
2: Knives. I'm Kevin Ornibits, and I'm Tom. Don't project that on me, Kevin Haverstro. I will do no projection. This is not a Freudian broadcast. But you know what, Tom? I loved the challenges this week. I loved the elimination challenge. There was adrenaline. It was the Olympic Games of Top Chef, right? I mean, you want to explain this better than I can? I mean, this was a a tour
3: de force of an episode. And I know, I know sometimes the the scoring structure can get a little too forced, but this was great television. Um, This was really fun to watch. The first, the first quick fire was basically uh, Brooke came on with Padma at 6 a.m. and said, Hey, you guys are going to make crepes and sponsored by Nutella. And you have, or no, it was, you have to make Nutella and a lot of people made crepes. Um, But the – we'll get into the actual like scoring system of the elimination challenge, but man, this was a fire episode. This yeah. was um, – it was – it had the drama. It had the technique. I learned a few things. There was a callback with Brooke, and it was – I think this was a, a really fun episode.
2: Yeah, I mean there was adrenaline, and I think basically – walking the contestants into this like Roman Coliseum where yeah, you know, bad metaphor, I right, cause the Olympics are Greek, but just this this <laughs> stadium with like like cheering people and like the judges up on these sort of platforms. There was adrenaline, there was second by second anxiety, the live audience element I thought injected a huge amount of 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 energy into the room. And as you said, I, I love this. speed, precision, creativity, right? Like you're taking three skills, you're measuring them. It also lends itself to a lot of conflict because, you know, as as Tanya said, and, and, and Tanya was the unfortunate um, eliminate this week, you know, precision was sort of the consolation prize. There were some it seemed like there were some of those categories and events that were more conducive to success and grandeur than others and others that were just landmines you know, waiting to destroy a contestant. Um, and we got we got real personality conflicts. Um, I, mean, I mean, let's start there. Basically, you could kind of see what was brewing early on. And, you know, from the moment the teams were sort of organized... Uh, Tom, I don't know about you, I'm always fascinated when the judges basically introduce the elimination challenge a third of the way through the episode and then say okay you guys find teams oh, because man. it is a so very fun. schoolyard anthropological exercise you like to see the social machinations of this group and how it works and one of my i thought the most interesting moment was chris in his cutaway interview was sort of like i'm a little over the bear thing you know <laughs> and that's you man that's your id right there well well, you know so here here's the issue right so there is a a certain level of social dynamic that has emerged in this in this season and there is this group now i mean tyler was the originator but it's it's bruce it's joe flam and now kind of joe stash is the new tyler and you know it's these three kind of white dudes who call themselves the bears and and I, I want to kind of shout some support for Chef Chris here because I think one of the pleasures of middle adulthood, especially if you're a guy who kind of grew up as a loner or a, a girl, for that matter, who grew up as a loner socially, is that you generally, as an adult, don't have to endure formal cliques anymore. Yep. It's like the real-life Heather's game is over. And so I think one of the things that happens is you you hear Chris say this whole Bear Clan thing is getting to me a little bit. I can imagine it's pretty insufferable to be a grown-ass man in his late 40s watching three other grown men huddle up right next to you when it's time to pick teams as if you don't exist. And but when I also
3: – yeah, but but Kevin, but this is part of the game. This is part of the strategy is do you want to align – um,
2: uh, establish an alliance, essentially
3: it establish an alliance so that in these moments when there are team challenges, you can lean on some other teammates. And that is, I think a choice that a lot of top chef players or con- chef testants have to decide early on is, do I want to engage in the fraternization of top chef and become the, the broey or clicky side of like engaging in that, that sort of, um, that 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 culture right so like the fascinating thing is joe stash was adopted by the bears and he's wearing the bear slippers at the quick fire and it was a, uh, it was it was such a you know we had this actually a few days ago i was in new york city for uh bleacher report meetings and as part of like Kind of like a a team building exercise. We had to break off into groups, and they we did the same exact thing, which is like grab
2: Howard Beck. You better grab Howard Beck.
3: (laughs) We did like you grab Howard Beck. Okay, he's your bear. But here's the thing: is like Kevin you subconsciously when you're in a room you sit next to people that you like or want to associate yourself and there's just the gravity the subconscious gravity of like all right everyone's walking into a giant conference room there's 30 people and then they suddenly say all right now break into groups of four and you turn around you're like oh i'm already sitting next to my friends here so like i was already sitting next to jonathan abrams and howard beck and brandon seed at, at bleach report and we just looked at each other like all right we're the group of four And the funny thing is – and this is a sidebar. Did you have a name
2: for your group? So I – yeah, go ahead though. I I, want to hear the story.
3: So they go, all right, your groups of four are going to come up with a TV show – um, based on two separate ideas, so we're going to raise our hands, and everyone's going to. When your t- team of four is up, we're just going to say two concepts, and you have to bring two concepts together. And of course, they knew that I was doing this Pack Your Knives show, this podcast, Kevin. And so, when our team of four came up, they go uh, cooking show, cooking competition show that involves chess. So we had to come up with a cooking show in three minutes. It was like its own. Top Chef episode where Abrams, Beck, and and Brandon and I are sitting around trying to conceive this show within four minutes of what a cooking show involving chess would look like. And at the end of the day, I realized that we're subconsciously associating ourselves or walking into a room in clicks. You know that you don't even realize what you're doing. And I think on the the episode uh, of Top Chef is there were the clicks already forming. And that's why I think Chris Scott's uh, confessional there was so interesting. Is, you know, this is part of the game of Top Chef. Is these alliances can come in handy in situations like this, where if you are a loner and you want to be independent and you want to, you know, beat to the, wait, play to the own. What is that? The drum of your own beat what is that uh idiom
2: yeah march to the drum uh, yeah yeah. if you want to do
3: that yeah if you wanted to thank you kevin if you want to do that that's cool but in situations like this it could backfire
2: yeah no listen i I just finished sebastian younger's tribe right so the, the whole in group out group thing is fascinating to me and it was just it was interesting to watch these three guys you know especially kind of seeing it through the eyes of chris right he's older than them He's a black guy who grew up in small-town central Pennsylvania. So I imagine that much of his life, and I'm being presumptuous here, and Chris, tell me if I'm wrong. Like, much of his life is basically watching three husky, you know, middle America white dudes kind of click up while he's kind of watching it from afar, <laughs> saying, and they have a name for their click, right? So whereas I totally agree with you from a strategic standpoint. I mean, I think my move would be on that show, if I had Chris's talent, from, as you say, from week one, just kind of go up to Fatima at an appropriate time, a couple days into the competition, and say, hey, look, there are going to be moments where they're going to ask us to pair up or triple up or quad up. Can we just sort of have a tacit understanding that mm-hmm. in those moments for elimination, if we're not drawing knives, that we are kind of, you know, because symp- that that's the move to make, right? Because otherwise, then you end up with, you know, in a, a, a high risk environment. And because what they, because I will give this, the Bears are not just a concentration of dudes who, so, by the way, I am really fond of all of them and I love. Look, they're cooking, and Kalman seems like the sweetest guy, and it's clear he has so much goodwill. And, and you know, those other guys seem pretty cool, but, but they are also almost a mathematical certainty not to end up on the bottom, given the concentration of talent with nine contestants left of those three people.
3: Yes, 1000%. And I, I actually thought, as a side note, Joe Flam was so funny on this episode. I want to hang out with Joe Flam. Yeah, I, know he's,
2: I, he's, I, I, I agree.
3: He was so funny. I mean, every line he had, especially up on the on the podium when when Piedma's like, uh, your medals backwards. And he's like, This is my first gold. <laughs> it's my first gold. I'm nervous. Joe is Joe is great. And um I thought the from the get go, when they had the three bears together, I was like, That is gonna be a just a banger trio. They they're gonna they're gonna not finish in the bottom three. And of course they did show out, but this is um I was curious, like, uh, what did you think of the brewing vendetta between Tanya and Claudette? Like, did you see that happening? I know the editing team from the uh, from the from Top Chef was kind of planting those seeds early on in the episode that Tanya was just kind of getting fed up with the competition in, itself. But holy, sh- this was this was Ali Fraser.
2: Yeah, so I think there were it was a confluence of events that kind of did Tanya in. I mean, one is. I mean, this is something to understand about Tanya. She's fifty-two years old. Okay, this is a woman who grew up in upstate New York, went to UVA and majored in Russian and Russian lit before Claudette and some of these other chefs were even born. Okay. I yes. Mean, uh, so, so I think you have to kind of zoom out and and as uh, you know, I, I kind of I, I feel for her. You know, this, she's published two cookbooks. She's trained in Europe. She's been a successful chef in Boston and New York, and and received a tons of awards and recognition and been honored by you know, by the city of Oakland with Tanya Holland day got the key to the damn city. She's a luminary <laughs> among African American chefs, anyone who works in the genre of Southern and soul food cooking. And like, here she is sort of, yeah, watching the bears and watching these young kind of bitchy chefs. And so, From the outset, she hated the assignment, right? Like, she got the consolation prize. She wanted speed, and she was completely miscast in the precision event, right? This is like asking DeMar DeRozan to enter the three-point contest, right?
3: Hey, hey, he's doing much better lately. Doing
2: much better, but I think we can agree that that, (laughs) that probably not an apt contestant this February for the three-point. Right, and can by the way, won't embarrass himself. Tanya didn't embarrass herself, but... It was a complete—and you can contrast it with Adrian, right, who's on the other end of the spectrum in terms of technical oh, yeah. cooking. She totally embraced the geeky demands of the challenge. She's in Whole Foods saying, oh, how cool is it going to be to look at different shaped fruits and cut them in different ways? Tanya's <laughs> like, fuck that shit. Like, I cook by feel. She's asked to name a temperature. Like, I make that flank steak that you have had at my house at 130, right, for that nice medium-rare yes. kind of sear. I mean, for myself, I make it at 125 because I eat basically raw meat, but— but you know she, you know she she called out 145, and the irony, of course, is she cooked it perfectly, but by feel. So she, yep. from the moment she got the assignment, she was hating it.
3: Let me ask you this, Kevin.
2: She doesn't want to play the five, and you're asking her to play the five.
3: I, I want to know what you think about the the whole uh, the wrench of throwing the temperature. I guess like hitting the temperature right, right? Because I almost feel it's like It's too punitive. If too you're punitive. like Tanya. Well, that first of all, but secondly, the concept of it, I found it like asking Steph Curry at what angle, what degree angle are you going to hit this shot? Like it's all feel for him, right? Like asking – um asking Clay Thompson, like, what is the degree of your angle of your jump shot? Like that the arc needs that the trajectory of your jump shot needs to, in order to get in the middle of the basket, it's a little too precise and scientific for me when it's the, the sport of cooking is a lot of just feel. And I think Tanya hit on that is, I don't know what temperature it needs to be. I just know by feel, by instinct, by, by just my gut, I know what is properly cooked or how it needs to be cooked. And that's that. The concept of having to name the temperature and hit that temperature exactly, I felt like was a little too um, much science when it needed to be more art. You so know what I'm saying? I
2: appreciate like To me, the heartbreak is she actually was very precise. She just didn't name the number. In my opinion, what they should have done is told her the number, one, 125, right? Like we're going yes. for media – We're looking here for medium rare and basically it's an understanding in the cooking community that when you cook a lamb shank, it is X degrees at medium rare. And that's what we're going to be looking for. So we'll be they can call it whatever they want. One twenty eight one. And then I would I would do that rather than her call out a number because that that's that was sort of the heartbreak. Right. Is she actually she nailed the preparation by feel. So she was a precise chef. She just doesn't, you know, work with numbers. And, And I think. You know, and that's why I thought the scoring system was way too punitive. I think it should have been like maybe every five degrees you get a point. But I mean, that's even rough. But I thought. Did you
3: think it was going to be taken off the total score like
2: me? That's what I thought. And then all right, taken off the total score. Not the. Yeah, that was way too punitive. Um, Especially, again, in Tanya's case, because. First of all, if you overcook the meat and you're off your number, you're going to get punished anyway. Exactly. Because. It's not going to be good. So the, the, it was overly punitive as a scoring system. Not a fan. Not a fan at all. Um, and yet, again, the second week in a row, someone goes home for a tasty dish for a, what I call a non-palate error. Right? Like this was not – it didn't taste bad.
3: Right. Uh, However, she, with Tanya, the, 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 she really got screwed over by being in the precision round rather than the actual um, – the uh, – the speed round because she had no fucking idea what the cuts were, but yet it tasted really good. Right. Like it was, it was, it was heartbreaking to see that. And, um, I felt like the scoring system was a little off and I had a question for you. I didn't know if you caught this, but I'm going to go on a rant here. Sorry. I'm going to go on a rant. I don't think Chris deserves to get any points deducted from, Our fantasy team. Look, he he had a killer dish, okay? I traded for this dude, and he has a killer dish that scored a fucking 51 by the judges, the second highest score of all the uh, competitors here behind Joe Stash, and he gets thrown to the bottom three.
2: Yeah. So like this I is am, bullshit
3: that I, the team the team structure, if an inju- individual like Chris shows out and just dominates and he gets a high score, there should be no deduction. I know we're, we can't go back to the constitution of the fantasy rules, but man, that really hurt when Chris <laughs> got deducted for being in the bottom three just because he was lumped in with Claudette and Tanya. Uh, so. That. All right. Sorry. So
2: I in spirit <laughs> totally agree with you. If I were. In a debate situation with you, I would refer to our previous conversation, which is part of the skill of Top Chef, is landing on teams that you know are going to be good, and <sighs> you know, that would be my debate. Even though I kind of, in spirit, agree with you, and if I was commissioner, I would, yeah, I don't, I don't know how we would codify, like I don't know how we would reconstitute the rules. So, like, well, I guess this is just part
3: of the this I think is the residue kind of-, of the scoring system. You know, this is just. You can't be perfect, but man, Chris got a fifty-one. Joe Stash got a fifty-one point five in that elimination challenge. Boy, was and- that!
2: By the way, just can I just talk about carrot shavings? Like a guy who can <laughs> like that was gorgeous. Just he's he's really
3: let's put that on a shirt. Can I just talk about carrot shavings? No, but it's like we
2: like kind of swir- spiraling them into these gorgeous little um. These little, little, this kind of this ornamentation and giving it a little crisp. It, it was – he did – for those you who know, don't remember, he, he did a, a lovely short rib pasta and with color and texture and, and with ramps. Creativity. Ramps oh. are yummy. It's I always feel like ramps are much more of a northeastern thing, and I, I, somebody should tweet us and, and let me know. Am I correct that I, I don't see ramps a lot in, in California cooking, but I feel like when I go to the northeast – United States. I see them a lot, even though obviously it was Colorado. I just, they're they're essentially, I've always thought of them as sort of a garlicky scallion, and they're lovely and delicious, and there was a lot of ramp going on on Team Blue there. Um, I want to talk about Bruce because we've talked about whether chefs should come to the competition armed with some dishes in their back pocket, and he outright confessed that he did, and he also yep. mentioned that he tabbed it for the perfect challenge, right? Like a speed dish dish where you pretty much have leeway to do what you want, but you've got to do it quickly and in a competition and a head-to-head-to-head. To head to head. And so this, to me, is the perfect example of how to arrive at a competition of Top Chef with, well, I want to do this dish. I know I have this in my back pocket. This is where you whip it out. The, the, you got to do this in 45 minutes. And he, he comes up with that, that polenta dish, which the judges loved.
3: Yeah. And, and it's kind of like when we conceive stories, Kevin, for the NBA beat, you kind of do the same thing where it's like I have all these stories in my back pocket. Now I have to time it. You know, do I want to bring out the Steph Curry story in December when everyone's going to want to know that story in June and it's going to really hit? And this is what um, this is what Bruce is doing right now when he figured out that he needs to just do his food and kind of shoehorn it into the competition. That's when he took off. I mean, the last four episodes, I think he has just been on a tear. I'm so glad I didn't trade him last week because I, I I, don't think he's the favorite. I think Joe Stash is the favorite because he's just got the perfect combination of skill. And um, he's a likable character. People like him. And he's also just a fucking technical chef. I think he's the favorite at this point. But yeah, Bruce I is mean. really hitting his stride, man.
2: I agree. Um, What's also interesting is that, uh, I mean, for I'm I'm looking at the thing. So Tanya is out with a previous win. We've had a lot of that in this show. Actually, no, we haven't. Tyler was the only other contestant. I I, I take that back. Tyler's the only other contestant that had a win under their belt so far when they're they're out. But, yeah, Bruce is a win high-high last three weeks. Uh, Win high-high yeah in
3: in low low win high high on the wikipedia page and i wanted to ask you about this thing because we saw it again um i would love to know the analytics on this this might be an off season project but why do we have the immunity chefs compete in the elimination challenge because i think in the last like 3 or 4 maybe this whole show they just kind of coast, you know. The blue cheese. Carrie, Carrie had an amazing dish oh. for the quick fire. The habanero jelly. Yeah, can we, I, I
2: want to talk about this. Describe, describe this because I, 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 have, I have some notes on this. I, I love this.
3: So she comes in. Everyone's making kind of the standard, either waffles or crepes, and she comes in with an eggs Benedict with a habanero jelly Nutella, and it is the most and creative. A prosciutto dish.
2: And a classic hollandaise.
3: Yeah. And it was like, whoa, I don't know. Like when I heard the ingredients, I was like, that is a lot. (laughs) That is a lot of things going on. Right. That's that sounds like Katsuji again, where he's just bringing in way too many different ingredients. And how is that going to mesh together? Carrie's been doing this recently where I when when the story of the dish, when she explains it initially, I'm like, that's not going to work. And she really makes it work and not just work, but Like the the cake in the snow, when she baked a cake in the snow, I was like, that's not that's going to be a total disaster. And she comes out brilliantly. And Carrie is sneaky good this season. Carrie, I don't know if it's her personality or if it's um, the fact that we we drafted her like 15th. Like, I feel like she was one of the last picks of our draft. She deserves to be a, a strong contender for Top Chef. Don't you agree?
2: I, I do agree, and I think she's the perfect embodiment of the fact that if you can execute risk on Top Chef, you can be gold. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and she's somebody who can execute risk. And I, I, you know, I don't know where I'm putting her right now. Again, I, I, it's hard to look at the field for me. Like, all right, I mean, pop quiz. I want to go back to Carrie in a second.
0: Hello, listener. Guess who's back it's me anthony mays your favorite butcher turn podcast producer and i'm here to talk to you about butcher box butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep free shipping vacuum sealed packaging it's ready to go right then it's ready to pop in the freezer ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com Dings and use code Dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. All things being equal, gun to your head, who's out next
2: week? Who's the, who's, who's the bottom chef of this group right now? Um, oh i'm gonna we've got nine no we got eight players left so we we'll are probably at restaurant wars next week okay so-, so that's a tough one but like if all things being equal cook for your life who's out next week
3: I think Adrian is so good and so technical and so – almost like an academic. I feel like she could be a librarian, she, the way she speaks, the tone and the, the – Well, she, the, she, she
2: said she's a teacher. She teaches at a culinary institute.
3: Yeah, like she – I just feel like this uh, – she's been in the bottom for – like probably three or four episodes. I just feel like she would probably be the most likely. She has the fewest points in our in our fantasy scoring system, so I maybe maybe Adrian would be my pick here. Or right? Flann. See, this, I don't know.
2: This goes to my point, but but and that would be my instinct too. But when you kind of look at her portfolio, she doesn't fuck up a lot. I mean, in her fuck ups have it look. I mean, look if she corrects this salt situation, yeah. Where they yep. and and frankly, she kind of got the best corrective possible which is to be humiliated by chefs for not salting and i can't imagine that's going to happen again because she's an adaptable chef and she's really good at what she does so like my instinct would be like yeah adrian would be next but like she just doesn't fuck up a lot like she's a really good technical chef you know she nails her proteins and now let's solve this seasoning issue so you know you know I, i will say this about carrie she's sneaky but then she goes with this rich bomb for her main i mean i love blue cheese But a blue cheese sauce, like, has to be used selectively. I mean, I can't see a scenario where beef short ribs and butter poached mushrooms would ever call for something rich. If anything, I think you want something to cut through the richness. You don't want to compound it. And that's an instinct that, like, I'm a a doofus. And I, like, the minute I thought, like, why would blue cheese on that is just, I don't know. I don't think there are a lot of chefs who can pull that off. It's just you need something a little brighter. Fatima, by the way, her candied turkey bacon – thing i don't think she got in the top three for the breakfast but i liked it yeah the 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 whole look i'm waiting for her breakout by the way
3: i know me too i'm waiting me for too. the foptima breakout she's look look at her look at her projection or trajectory in this show high 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 like so top three on the first three episodes and she doesn't finish in the bottom three or the top three since she's just kind of in the middle right she um But I know she's better than a 46 win team. She is. She 1000 percent So can we give a I,
2: shout out to her?
3: Let's do it. Yeah. Um,
2: I mean, I because you know, we saw you you had brought to my attention on Instagram. Um she's in a fight.
3: Uh so she is dealing with a bone and tissue cancer, which is heartbreaking. Um, of course. Anyone dealing with a battle against cancer is, is heartbreaking, but she is – I think she's 28 years yeah. old. And as someone who's dealt with this with my sister who uh, had Hodgkin's lymphoma when she was 30 years old, this is particularly hard for anyone – a young person dealing with a cancer fight, but also just the, the public view of having to deal this um, – I feel so bad for Fatih and especially – for for Padma on on Instagram, Padma came by the hospital and and took a picture and spent some time with with Fati. And those are the kind of moments where you're just like, I love humanity. You know, it was it was such a touching thing to see that Fati and Padma are, were together during this after she went through chemotherapy. I, we're rooting for you, Fati. Anytime you're feeling up to it, you have <laughs> front of the line on this show as a guest.
2: Yes, and um, I, I'm so. Into her kicking cancer's ass, and I, I, she has been such a bright spirit. It's it's funny because you don't know a person like we know her on television, right? And there's certain windows into a person, and it pretty much I think you and I would agree we love everything we see about this person. And,
3: you know um, what? There was there was a moment when when Bruce found out that he was gonna be a father. You know the bait the the water broke, and yeah. you know who ran up to him first? It
2: was Fatima. Yeah. um this is uh, just like she conveys uh, again it's it's television so it's such an odd you know it's odd to be speaking about someone as if you know them but but she just conveys such a total warmth and care for for people and you know even even a moment like Carrie's dish bombed and she's like you know what, what did she say it makes no sense and like and that's what you like I imagine that like going through life if Fatima is rooting for you must be a very fun project as a friend or a family member or a colleague. So uh, we wish her the best and uh, I, I hope we get positive updates and uh, she seems like an extraordinary person. and um, yeah
3: I'm I'm in New York City right now and I was kind of hoping that uh, I could go eat um, one of her dishes at a, at a local restaurant. She's opening up a restaurant now and I can't wait to go. like I will be there. I will be there as soon as that damn thing opens because I'm such a big fan.
2: Yeah, I'm. I actually have a. Uh, I have a trip to New York in late March. I will need uh, top chef recommendations, um, and I, I will be there with Eric. So we've got a couple dinners and, I, and, and a couple lunches. So I will have to. Uh, you have to prepare me a scout list. Um, let's get back to Tanya, because there was more rancor and contentiousness than we've seen, and it was essentially between two. People. She went after Carrie.
3: She went after Carrie of all people.
2: Like, Wait, how do you go after when, Carrie? Remind me when
3: there there is a moment um, uh, in the in the break room. Yes, you know when they're talking and uh, Carrie says something like, "I forget which." It was a very benign, innocuous comment to to uh, to Tanya, and Tanya says, "We don't all experience the world the same way. Wake up, Carrie. Get woke." Yeah, and I mean,
2: she, she, again, and I, I want to go back to sort of my thing. I mean, she, um, you know, I don't think temperamentally this is a a great matchup for her in terms of uh, the competition show. You were in close quarters. She has made previous reference to the, to, to the largeness of personalities on the show and, and how it was grating. Um, you know, Claudette kind of throws her under the bus. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, it's interesting. Joe Flam made note of the fact that it <laughs> was a pattern. Uh, yep. He was standing next to Adrian, who, who'd gotten sort of the treatment from Claudette on, on a previous challenge. But what I really respect most of all is Chris completely pleading ignorance in the post-game press conference. <laughs> I didn't see it. You like you know you're in the scrum after the game and there was an incident. And you asked the coach, "Well, what did you see? What happened between Blake and so and so?" And the coach like, "Oh no no yeah yeah I don't see it. We'll have to watch the tape." And it's like, "Oh fucking, you know exactly what happened." I kind of felt like it was watching the NBA, like it was like covering an NBA fight where like the post-game press conference, the coach pleads absolute ignorance when he knows damn well what happened, and Chris is. Just, so Chris, perfect. much man, much much respect to you, sir, because uh, that is that is exactly the way to handle that is to plead ignorance. You want no part of that. You want no dynamics. You don't want to be touched or corroded by it, and so you just say, "Oh, at first I'm hearing about the fact that the two people I was cooking next to for the last hour were completely, um, you know, at war with one another."
3: there's a, there's a term in, in the NBA, where we call it business decision. When Kevin Durant is barreling down the lane and LeBron James is the only thing between him and the basket. And what does LeBron James do? He steps aside. It's a business decision. It is not worth getting dunked on by contesting that basket. And he, and th- that's exactly what Chris did there. It, he just, it was a business decision. Like, you know what? I'm not getting in the middle of this. I'm going to plead ignorance. And it was the smart move. Um, cause cause that was, that was brilliant. Brutal, And I thought Tanya saying, I don't want to comment on my side of the story was so interesting because that was almost like the immunity giving like um, uh, Jamie Lynch from last season, giving up immunity beca- on principle and seeing if that would garner some goodwill with the judges, and she went home anyway.
2: I don't even think it was that. I don't think she did it strategically. I just think that she, at that moment, kind of appeared, felt outside the whole competition. I mean, you know, she said something in, you know, again, in the, in the break You're room right. afterwards, where, where, you know, basically suggested... To the to the bear group, which was sort of celebrating their their win and, and, and a well earned win, and I, I don't want to begrudge them that, but that you know she basically you know it's their party, win or lose, and everybody else is a, is a supporting actor in their buddy movie, right? And Tanya strikes me as a person in the words of Greg Popovich, who's over herself, yep. and I yep. I think she said that she was relieved to get eliminated, um, and I I don't I again you have to appreciate what a pressure cooker and social demands to be with these people every day and every night sleeping in bunks with them. And again, if you're a 52 year old woman, like who's experienced what she's experienced over time, like I imagine it's just insufferable. And then added to it, you have the Claudette thing. She kind of gets not bullied into, but kind of, she gets dropped into this role that she's completely not suited to. Um, And, you know, working with a partner with whom she has bad chemistry and, you know, who who hasn't, you know, who hasn't been the easiest contestant to work with. And I just think it all came to a head. And I think there's a grain of truth in possibly every one of her objections. Yes, I think, yeah, those guys, if you're not them, it probably does feel like it's their party and everybody else in the show is a supporting actor. And no one likes to feel like a supporting actor. It is true that, like, she got screwed with the precision thing. Yep. Um... You know, so I, I think, I, I think that's what was going on. And I, there's a part of me like, did she acquit herself well? I don't think so, but I, but I feel for her. like I, I feel I, for it too. I I, 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 know her world. I know her head. I have some of that, and uh, uh, I enjoy. I can't wait. To, you know, I'm gonna be up in Oakland. I'm hopefully gonna get up there very, very soon.
3: Um, don't, do not cross Tanya. Do not mess with with her. I mean, that was that was the lesson from this episode. She went after Carrie. She went after Gail when she said, don't project that on me. I'm not upset for either of those reasons, Gail. I was like, yo, it's like, man, you went after Gail. I want if we can get Gail on the show on this on this podcast, that's one of the top questions I'm going to ask is, Gail wait, Simmons? What, if the... you are
2: a listener, um, please contact us.
3: Because I want to know what was on the cutting room floor of that comment, because it kind of, you know, she said it, Tanya did, and we didn't get Gail's reaction, but uh, we should probably mention this. Did you notice all the split screens on the sh- on this episode,
2: Kevin? Yeah, no, you brought this to my attention.
3: John Besh was a judge on the judges table this week, and he was edited out um, of the episode by the Bravo producers because of the sexual uh, harassment allegations. Twenty-five women at the New Orleans-based group, um, the Besh Restaurants, came forward and uh, accused him of sexual harassment. He was edited out completely. And there's a Reddit. There's a Reddit post. <laughs> Uh, that shows like six screen grabs, hidden screen grabs from the episode where you can see John Besh on the episode. And I wonder, is that why the scoring system was so screwy? Because they showed the scores, but they didn't add up together. Did
2: you oh, notice that? Oh, so in other words, they, they, so, no, I didn't. So they added those six windows. No, they were, yeah, I get, no, they, there were six numbers and six, weren't they, they weren't, they didn't add up? So uh if you
3: caught this I caught it when I was watching I there was some uh blue uh sorry there's some there was some, um, there was some s- s- like a why am I blanking out on this term uh small print what is why am I blanking out there was at the end of the episode I'm having a brain fart at the end of the episode
2: welcome to early middle age tom <laughs>
3: Look, I'm I'm in a hotel room with my one-year-old daughter in New York City. We didn't get much sleep last night. Anyway, so the the small print at the end of the show when they're promoing The Last Chance Kitchen, there is a little note. Points depicted may not accurately reflect the points actually awarded. However, the outcome was not affected. The episode accurately reflects the order of the teams in each round and at the conclusion of the challenge based on points earned. That right there, I think, is an admission that they had a like they shot. You know, they said, "Oh, he scored 51 points," but when he add it up, I don't think it adds up to 51 uh, because John Besh was one of the people, one of the judges.
2: So they cut out. So they, they they actually apparently it sounds like they cut out his score, but despite his absence, the 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 order still remained the same. Which makes sense if you took out one. I I, I can't imagine it made much of a difference on any of the events.
3: Right. Right. I, I, think- I feel like you. one of the judges are going to like, generally speaking, I think the judges were, uh, you know, lockstep with each other in terms of the, the scores. But um, again, like Chris being in the bottom three really aggravated me because they like forced they I feel like Tom said something like critiqued his dish. And it was like it seemed forced because th- he got a really good score, you know, like the kimchi. There's something about it where uh, Kalikyo basically said like the kimchi wasn't uh strong or you didn't
2: get enough flea i don't know what it was but that tofu cream i'm I'm still the tofu cream dream is sort of uh okay
3: yeah i'm still burnt by chris being in the bottom three for having one of the best dishes
2: yeah i know i hear you i hear you i would be too if i hadn't traded him
3: (laughs) so uh kevin you wanted an update on the scores
2: yeah i I, i'm guessing you're closing the gap is what i'm guessing
3: the gap is almost closed yeah. after a huge lead early on Kevin you are hanging on by a thread 114 points to 108 so it is a 6 point differential right now this past episode I got 31 points and you got 6 Claude deck checked in with 0 for being in the bottom 3 in the uh Uh, overall, but having one of the top dishes at the quick fire, Uh, Christopher somehow is getting me negative three points despite having a great dish. After I traded for him, he's not performing as good as Claudette. The early returns are south for me on that trade, especially when you have the pick swap. If people don't know what we're talking about, I made a trade. Uh, I got Christopher and I gave up a four or five pick swap for next year's draft. In return, you got Claudette. Um, so far, the early returns are not strong, but I still feel like Chris had a better overall episode, a good bounce back from last week compared to Claudette. Uh,
2: yeah. And again, I I still think we're in a wide open episode. I mean, I do think as you do that mustache Joe is the clubhouse favorite right now, but that said, and he's he's actually now officially the first contestant with two elimination wins. So uh, that can now be substantiated by scoring. I'm assuming. Yeah. But it, it to me, it's still wide open. This is a really interesting, interesting season, and chefs you perceive to be not as strong, you look down and like they're winning stuff left and right, like Carrie, um, you know. Chris has three lows, though, that, you know, that's deceiving. As you said, he was he cooked well and finished bottom three this week. So it's it's a really interesting time. Hey, I want to do a a quick meal report. I had I just had an extraordinary meal and I just want to give a shout out to my experience um, at Shibumi in Los Angeles. That's David Schlosser's kind of capo style Japanese joint. It basically is is, uh, you spell uh, that for me. What Shibumi Shibumi, S-H-I-B-U-M-I. It's on Hill Street. Okay. And the historic core of downtown Los Angeles, great space. Oh, is it a great space? I love sitting at that. I think it's like a walnut uh, counter, uh, basically a bar, and it is. Uh, but it's low, and it is fantastic. I learned, and one of these I loved it is, and I don't know my server's name. I forget his name, but I kind of learned stuff as I went. Like I asked lots of questions, and and like I learned more about koji. Which is, is sort of is fermented rice that you can that is, is sort of the ultimate umami marinade, and how you can mix it with shoyu soy and kind of leave it for a year and and, and, and really let it set. And uh, so I, I'm doing all sorts of fun things with Japanese cooking in the next month. Just from pointers, it's fun to leave a restaurant where you're inspired to go home and do cool shit. And yep. I have that kind of experience. They had a, a, a you know a, a sardine and a and a, and a koji. Uh, sh- Show you marinade that was out of this world. They had all kinds of, they went from their cold tofu dish, I know as cold, was turned to hot for the season um, with little salmon eggs. It, it It is such a beautiful eating experience. And the other thing I loved about it was I've now been there four times. And I went in the first three months, I actually went with our friend Andrew Hahn, and it was good. And mm-hmm. they still have my favorite heritage pork re- re- uh, recipe. And actually, another thing that uh, Koji made wonderful. And, you know, and we had a really good experience, but it wasn't, you know, otherworldly. And then each successive time and to the point where it was the one of the first great meals of 2018 for me, my first great Los Angeles meal of 2018. And I just love leaving a place with like armed with tips and inspiration Mm. and like they seem so vested in the meal. And it was just a wonderful hour and a half.
3: Well, I'm I'm working on a a handicap here, Kevin. There should be a Yelp filter for high chairs. For someone who has a baby, (laughs) this is really hard. We go into restaurant to restaurant is like, do you have a high chair? And we're working at a handicap because right now the pool of restaurants that we can go to, we're in New York City. We want to have like, you know, a great meal, but we also have a one year old and it's really hard. I love my daughter, but we're working at a serious disadvantage here in terms of trying to get the best meal for for a 24 hour span in New York City, because I got to make sure. She can sit at the table. So um, I'm very jealous of you, Kevin, that you can just go to any restaurant you want and it doesn't matter. Yeah, but you don't I'm have to worry I'm very jealous about.
2: of you. You, have, you get to experience the miracle of fatherhood. And I'm just uh, basically a gay man who worries about his material needs and his lifestyle and pretty much <laughs> maintaining it. And that's all I care about. So I have no responsibilities and no anything. I just live – essentially as Peter Pan. So you have a really meaningful life and I'm sort of vacant. and, and home. Uh,
3: <laughs> No, this is the, this is our meaning right here is pack your knives. This is the meaning that we have in our life. That's all we need really. I mean, my uh, daughter's great, but uh, I'm just, this is my baby.
2: I think we should spend a few minutes talking about last chance kitchen because there's some shit that's gone down that Woo. needs discussing. All right. First of all, explain. Cause I've watched it three times like, I don't understand, was he hiding the plastic wrap? Just so, all right, so let's just set this up. It's brother luck versus two. And will and, you explain? Because I'm still at a loss of what the crime was. Was he hiding it? Did he know and not tell him where it was so it wasn't a, a first-degree lie? Like, wh- what, what the hell happened, Tom? Okay. <sighs> set it up for our audience.
3: This was very, very big. This was heated. This was two alpha males. I feel like brother and two feeling like they're good. They're boys, they're friends. And then this fucking backstabbing act that it seems to me like a backstab that like what brother did was bordering on Bush League. I don't know because, you know, the editing of was the it a show- dirty
2: play. It, was it a dirty play? <laughs>
3: I would I would if I'm a referee, I'm throwing the flag on this. Is that one. a
2: flagrant one or a flagrant
3: but two? I think it's a flagrant one. It's not a flagrant two that warrants an ejection from the game. But you should get two free throws based on what he and did. He Does
2: Kiki <laughs> Vandaway We need to call Kiki Bandaway. <laughs> Kiki, if you're listening, Kiki uh, does all the discipline for the NBA. He's a lovely man.
3: You know, on this on the same token, there is a bit of desperation and a one on one cook off. I, I, I
2: want to know I want to know what happened. Okay, what did so you here's see? This is I want let's play some on here. And brother, I mean you can phone in too, you can phone in. I I, I want the story.
3: Two needed plastic wrap to do his dish.
2: To do his correctly. basically an instant sudvi.
3: Right, and he and and he asked brother, or I think he just said out loud, "Where is the plastic wrap? Do you know where it is, brother?" And brother said, mm, "I don't know." He didn't. I don't know. Wait, I don't know if brother actually said, "I don't know," but he didn't say, "Yes, I know where it is," because brother knew the whole time where the plastic wrap. It was right there, like right in the open, right under two's nose, and yet he did not help him identify and locate the plastic wrap, and it end up costing two mightily. And that, I think, was the offense, that the the crime at stake here, is that Brother knew exactly where the plastic wrap was, but he didn't divulge that information when two was obviously soliciting that information. Then, So it's a
2: sin of omission, not a sin of commission.
3: I think that's exactly it. Now, Brother and two can come on the show and dispute this. Uh, It does seem that there is... A little bit of sting left um, apparently on this new Last Chance Kitchen. I haven't seen it yet, but I've been doing some reading. And apparently uh, it is bringing they, they keep bringing it back. That two is still feeling a little bit um, stung by this move by brother. And look, we have some witnesses. If, if Tyler wants to come or Rogelio wants to come on and give a third party account of what went down, by all means, come on the show because we need the facts here, Kevin. This seems like a very controversial move, and this isn't one, like Claudette and Tanya. This was two guys who I think are bros. I think they're friends, and yet brother did not tell him where the plastic wrap was. Now, here's my question. Now, if he hid
2: it or he had it or he was hoarding it, that would be absolutely yes. unconscionable. However, <laughs> that would be a capital but, punishment. But so he just doesn't tell him where it is. It's sort of a Did he say actively I don't like did he ever utter a lie? Is my I question. need
3: to go back to the tape. We have to I, go back
2: to the tape. We need to get to the C caucus, man. We got to you know, we need yeah, this is this is an interesting one. I'm I'm going to watch it again because I'm just trying to determine what level of affront, what level of moral imbecile brother must be by or is it just sort of gamesmanship yeah i mean this and this also speaks to one of the great debates of the show right man when your back's against the wall like you gotta you gotta win right now i mean if it was in its rightful place and two just misses it i mean i you know part of you could argue and i'm not arguing this because i'm a two guy i'm basically and i'm also a He's your number one draft pick. I, I, I'm a give a brother break kind of guy too. But like, but you could argue that look part of these quick fire or, or last chance, or essentially quick fires is sort of whatever it is that your brain needs to go through these media, you know, these sort of these very mundane tasks of, okay, I got to find the plastic wrap. Where in the pantry is this? Like, like that, that, that is a, that is your, that is your brain. And, Uh, In pressure situations, you have to manage all of those questions. Where is this stuff? How can I find it? And so you can argue that a failure to basically provide that information isn't a
0: huge
2: crime. But I'm with you on that. Yeah. is Is it not classy or is it a true affront? I don't know. This is to be continued.
3: We need some witnesses. To come to the stand, come to the Pack Your Knives stand and confess what exactly happened. Was it Professor Plum with the candlestick in the conservatory? We need some answers.
2: Tom, it was a real pleasure. We're now down to eight contestants. I believe, if we're correct, that means restaurant wars. But um, and it's my hope. And that would be
3: that would boy, be amazing, that, and we might
2: have to do a double. We might have to do a double episode of Restaurant Wars. We don't know. I'm not promising anything. I just know that Restaurant Wars is like my absolute favorite episode of television a year.
3: Agreed, Kevin. That was that was a lot of fun. We didn't have a guest on the show this week, but I feel like uh, I feel like this episode in particular needed a full recap by the two of us.
2: Tom, thanks. Travel safely. This is pack your knives.